Have you ever taken a moment to think about the fact that not only you have the ability to love someone, but that you're fortunate to be loved by someone? We often hear the phrase, God is love. Have you heard that phrase before? It's found in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. And we must remember the fact is that we are created in God's image. So just the ability to love or to be loved in itself is proof that there is a God. The proof that you have anger, the proof that you hurt, the proof that you have joy, the proof that you are happy, all of these emotions are God-given because we are created in His image. So the next time you go to Valentine's Day and you see uh, the stores filled with cards and candies and teddy bears and flowers and all that stuff, and you have someone, hopefully, that you can share Valentine's Day with, either as in a relationship or a friendship, and you have the ability to love someone, think just for a moment the reason I could love and the reason I could show love and I could receive love is because God is love. Well, every relationship, though, needs work, and our relationship with God is certainly no exception. As our world grows darker and more hostile towards God, there has never been a more important time to make sure of a few things. Number one, we must know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have a relationship with God. It's the, the age-old question that evangelists of old used to ask. If you were to die this morning, would you spend eternity with Jesus Christ in heaven? What reason would you give to know that you could receive heaven? And you hear words like, literally, my grandfather was a preacher. Like, like that could be handed down genetically. Heaven, doesn't, heaven does not know DNA. Or they might say, well, you know, uh, I'm a good person. At the end of my life, the good's going to outweigh a bad. Uh, karma is not the key to heaven. The only key to heaven is loving Jesus Christ enough to ask Him to come into your life and to not only save you from your sins, but to help you walk in a life that is in accordance to God's Word. So we have to have a, re a love relationship with Him. And I stress the word love relationship because, folks, I'm going to tell you, coming to church every Sunday like you've done for 20 years and just going through the motions of a lesson, hearing the preacher preach, go to your favorite restaurant and go home, and there being no change in your life, no level of intimacy with the Lord growing, no, no, no dependence upon God. Folks, that is called religion. We need to make sure that we have a love relationship with the Lord. Number two, that you nurture that love relationship. And then number three, that that relationship that you have with God not only affects your life, but it affects those around us. You know how it is when you first fall in love. Oh my goodness, everything is so happy. All the love songs on the radio start making sense. And then, you know, it's like, yeah, it's just, they have the glow about, oh, I have a girlfriend, or oh, I have a boyfriend, or oh, I'm married now, you know. I remember, you know, back in middle school, high school, I guess y'all change boyfriends and girlfriends pretty often, right? But every one of them, oh, she's the one. He's the one. 
And then the older folks say, ah, oh, that's just puppy love. Well, puppy love is love if you're a puppy. And uh, think about that one. And But it's, it's, it's great to, to love someone, but then they, that glow just affects everybody else. And then when we fall in love with Jesus Christ, our spiritual life, there for about two to three years, experts say, is where we just overflow and we gush with the love of the Lord. But somehow, over time, just like our bodies, our spiritual life becomes more regimented, becomes more habitual, becomes, if I could use the word, more religious. And if we're not careful, we'll have what James calls a form of godliness, but a denial of the power of the relationship that we have from Jesus Christ. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you, being married has been the greatest adventure in my life. And people think that the pastor has a perfect relationship. Well, I'm here to tell you, uh, we do not have a perfect relationship. Uh, it takes work. It's, it's a commitment. It is not just flowers and candy. I remember one time I'd done something to really make Donna mad. And so I thought, what do normally guys do when you make your lady mad? Some flowers, right? Flowers get to her. Don't even think those suck-up bouquets did anything for you. You're still in the doghouse. But listen, I don't want to throw Donna under the bus because uh, she has to put up with a lot with me, I'm sure. And uh, so I'm just telling you, it's, it's not all perfect. It, it does take work. It, it is a commitment. I, I often tell people that, that marriage is like a roller coaster. <laughs> Got an amen from Miss Pauline over there. A roller coaster you look at and you're like, wow, marriage is so cool. But I, I don't know if I want to get on that. And then you finally meet that special person that says, oh, come on, we'll enjoy it. And then you go and you stand in line and you see the people coming in from the ride before you. Their hair is all over the place and they're like white-faced. And you're like, this is not going to be good. So you, you continue to date and you continue to say, okay, we're going to do this. So finally the day comes where you're committed. You say, let's get married. So you're in the car. And all of a sudden, you're going up the first hill. You know what I mean? And it's like, oh, here we go. Here we go. And then you get to the top of the hill and the preacher says, I do. And then, woo, you're raising your hands and everything. So exciting. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you have a loop. And your stomach does funny things. And then you go through a dark tunnel and you don't know where you are. And then before you know it, it flies by. And then the car stops and you thought, man, that is the wildest ride I've ever rode. Let's do it again. I'm sure there's a lot more to marriage than that. But for me... I think of that a lot. It is the best ride that you can ever have. It takes work. It takes commitment. And when you say, I do, or I will, depending on what you said, that's for a lifetime. And in the good and in the bad. But I find as I get older, though, jokes about marriage and getting older seem to be funnier. I guess maybe because I'm starting to identify with them a little bit. Uh, but I found, let me try this one out on you, see what you think. A couple drove down the road, country road for several miles, not saying a word. An earlier discussion had led to an argument, and neither one of them wanted to concede their position. 
Does that ever happen? Probably more than you think. Anyway, as they passed a barnyard of mules, goats, and pigs, the husband asked sarcastically, Relatives of yours? And she said without flinching, without thinking, she said, Yep, my in-laws. So, see, I'm laughing at it now because I can identify with it. Some of you young people are going, I don't get it. Okay, that's okay. You will one day. But the thing is, is that while that's funny, you know, I, I can identify with things in that joke, but that just in itself, it, it's funny, like Donna and I can sit down in a meal and we can go like a minute or two without even saying a word. And that probably drives her crazy, but it's not because I don't have anything to say. It's just, I'm happy. I'm content. Sometimes she'll say, you're not talking to me. Well, I don't have anything to say. So, any of you guys ever get that? Am I alone? Okay. Andrew, what do you know about that? Good gracious. Well, I guess, you know, no matter what your age, you always have that. But uh, enough about me and my marriage. Uh, we, we t- it takes work. And it takes faith in God. And I know every day I get up, I have to work at that relationship. Just the same is with God. Is that I have to work days in my, every day with my relationship with the Lord. Folks, if I miss my quiet time with God one day, I notice it. If I miss it two days in a row, Don begins to notice it. If I miss it three days in a row, y'all will begin to notice it. And that's just for me. The same thing goes for you too. And so as we come to this message today, uh, I think sometimes, and I've heard many messages like this where it seems like the preacher will say, just accept Jesus Christ and everything will be okay. And that's true, it will, but not everything is always okay. I mean, think about it. In your relationship with the Lord, those warm butterflies and that time of conversion and being grateful that God had saved you from your sins was an amazing experience. Or if you didn't have that experience, maybe just the experience of growing up all your life knowing that He was always there with you. But at some point, we have to put some fuel on the fire. At some point, we need to nurture that relationship. And so what I wanted to do this morning, and, and I, you know, I don't say this lightly. I just feel like the Lord told me to tell you and myself today is that it's time to fall in love with Jesus all over again. Because I'm not saying that you're not in love with Him. I'm not saying you don't have a relationship. Some of you may not have a relationship with the Lord. But let's take just a few moments this morning to read a few verses and remember why we fell in love with Him in the first place. The first thing we see is before we get to John, I want to go to Revelation Chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And this is the challenge. This is the gauntlet that has been thrown before us. In the end times of the seven churches, we see that the church in Ephesus is being evaluated by Jesus himself. As John writes, the church in Ephesus began to let the black and white of their convictions turn to gray. The climate of the city was, Ephesus was an anchor city for that region. All of the ports, all of the the merchandising, the worship, the commerce, everything flowed through Ephesus. So you know yourself, there's a big difference in First Baptist Church 
Abbeville and First Baptist Church Charlotte just because of the, the sheer sizes of those cities. But Ephesus was huge. But they're in Ephesus. They worshipped other gods. And one of the other gods they worshipped was Artemis, or others would say Diana. She, she was a fertility goddess. Without going into any great details, the, they were objectifying and worshipping sex. Folks, Artemis and Diana is still alive today in our culture. It's just not called that. And the culture of that day were rejecting God, and they were falling to their lust, and they were falling to their selfishness, and they were worshipping that. And Artemis was worshipped. Also, the emperor of Rome was worshipped. And those emperors loved those godlike statuses. My question to you and to me today is, in our love for the Lord, what false gods are vying for our attention? What is trying to pull us away from our time and relationship with the Lord? It's not, it's not all sex, drugs, and rock and roll, okay? It's not always bad things. There are good things that can pull us away. Listen, if you're spending all your time with your family, that's a great thing to do. But if you're not walking with the Lord while you do it, that's a bad thing to do. We must place God first. And so the church was in this city, and I mean, it's only been 59 years at this point before Jesus was crucified and rose. In just 59 years, the church was dealing with their worship being corrupted. Folks, listen, when there becomes no difference between a worship service and a worldly service, if we can go to a worship service and have the same experience as we would go to, say, to a football game or a concert to where we're worshiping the person up on the stage, whether it be a little church like this or a huge church, if, if our faith is in the wrong place and we're worshiping the wrong things, our love life with God will suffer. Well, the church members began to let pagan rituals infiltrate their service, and there was, there was false doctrines. You've heard the doctrine today, God is love. He is God, and He is love. But the thing is, is that today's mantra is, God is loving, so you can do what you want to do. You can have whatever sin you want to have. We'll put a condition on it. We'll, put, we'll give it a title. But... You don't have to repent. You don't have to, to worry about your sins. You can just be who you want to be because God is love. That is not scriptural. God is love, but God is a God of wrath. If we think that we can stand in the presence of God with sin in our lives, we have just spit on the, the crucifixion of His Son, Jesus Christ, and made fun of it because we're treating it so cheaply. Well, the church began to grow to the point where their pride replaced their faith. In other words, they were more worried about reputation than repentance. And it leads Jesus to say this in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1-5. through five, He says, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven gold lampstands says, I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. You also possess endurance and have tolerated many things because of my name and have grown weary. That sounds like a pretty good admonition, doesn't it? That, that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good deal. He, they're getting praise, aren't they? But then he says here, 
says, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. The church is doing very well. And I think every church, every organization falls into the pattern. Even even us as we're falling into another year of of looking for deacons and looking for leadership for the next year. It's easy to say, well, okay, let's just take the same year and duplicate it again. Folks, that is not what we need to do. Remember, I am sure, I wish I could have been around when this church first started and there was Tin Town back where the gym is full of shanties where people of low income lived, and there was one woman that had the faith that we need to start a church and minister to these folks. That kind of passion, that kind of love is what we need. Not just filling slots for another year. Not even saying that we're doing good evangelistic outreach. This church is doing a lot of great things. But are we doing it because we always do it? But are we doing it because we love Jesus Christ? And we want to spread that love. There is a difference. And I'll just call it like this. Jesus loves us enough to call us on our hypocrisy in hopes that we will return to him. If there are areas in your life that you have let go and kind of put under God's radar, don't be fooled. God sees it. When God came looking for Adam and Eve in the garden, he says, where are you? He wasn't playing hide and go seek with them. He knew exactly where Adam and Eve were after they had sinned. But when he said, where are you? He was saying, where are we in our relationship now that you have fallen? And he says that to you and he says that to me as well. Well, Jesus was directing his words here, not to the lost, but to the church. Has your love for your Savior waned over the years? And if so, what has taken its place? Let's spend just a few minutes few minutes remembering why we fell in love with Jesus in the first place. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him. And apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. And then I, I circled the word life. Life was in him, and that life was the light of men. And here we go, verse 5. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. And then we go on to verse 14, and he says, The Word became flesh. That is a huge statement. The Word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In verse 1, when it says, in the beginning, you realize that is a nod to, as John is writing this first book of the New Testament, he is, that is a nod to Genesis. Because the very first words in Genesis says, in the beginning. And so by him saying, in the beginning... He is launching the heavy artillery in this book. John's use of the phrase, talking about creation, when he says the word, when he he says in the beginning was the word, I want to tell you just real quick, 
the term the word back then was it was a term that, that the, the Greeks thought were it's kind of like a creative energy, a secular kind of energy out there that people could harness into. If you're Star Wars fans, it would be very similar to what Star Wars fans call the force. You know, may the force be with you. This 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 power that is around that you can harness. That's what the Greeks thought. And so here is John stepping right up and saying, Ha-ha! This is not some kind of creative purpose. Jesus Christ is the Word. For Star Wars nerds, it would be saying, Jesus Christ is the is the force. This was earth shattering. I mean, there were people that were getting mad because of this. But he is saying that what you worship, as Paul said, what you worship as an unknown God, I'm telling you, is Jesus Christ. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. I want you to understand something. Jesus was and has been face to face with God his Father from the very beginning of time. <clears throat> Why do we love him? Because Jesus was and is 100% God. Folks, think about it this way. Psalm 119 says that while we were in our mother's womb, God was knitting us together. I want you to know Jesus Christ was right there with him when you were created. So that means in all of your good things you've done in life, and even all the mess-ups you've done in your life, Jesus knew it. Yet He went to the cross anyway. Why would He do that? Well, it's because He loves you. Jesus was also an agent of change. Why should we love Jesus? Well, it says in Colossians 1, 13-17, that... For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things are held together. It kind of looks like this. I want you to remember, do not blame God when your life falls apart due to sinful choices and repercussions, Jesus, according to this passage, and who Jesus is, Jesus brings order to your life, not chaos. I have talked with many people, and I've seen it in my own life as well. I say, I don't understand why God's putting me through this. And I want to tell them, well, let's look at the sinful choices you've done to get you to this point. God has not done this to you. You've done this to yourself. Don't blame God for your problems. But at the same time, God loves you enough that when we totally mess up, when we are totally bankrupt spiritually, and when everything is on us, we know that He loves us anyway. We see three themes in this passage. Number one, we see that life is found in Jesus. There is no other God, no other politician, no family, no friend, no one, no medical procedure that can give the life that Jesus can give. Because when it says, and the word was life, and Jesus is the life, it's talking about eternal life. Folks, when you take your last breath here, your decision is made. And you'll spend eternal life with Jesus, 
or that place where churches don't like to preach about called hell, which is separation from God in the place of eternal punishment. There will be some that say, well, I don't believe in hell. Well, have fun with that. If you're right and I'm wrong, we all benefit. But if I'm right and the Bible's right, there's going to be a lot of upset people. And I'm not going to preach a message that there is no hell. Because if there was no hell, why would we be here in the first place? Jesus is the light of men. Folks, we live in a dark world today. And that, that's no surprise, I'm sure. But before Jesus, we were left to walk blindly through life. I think of two great examples today that, that have probably been on your Facebook feed or in your news feed somewhere. But, uh, I mean, you know, we, we get so upset because uh, Cecil the lion was killed. Remember Cecil? He was a lion that was in the state park in Africa that some dentist was on this uh, grand big game hunt and he shot this lion that was protected by the, by the national park. And I don't condone that. That is awful. And, and there needs to be things in place for those things not to happen. But our country is outraged with that. They want to string up the dentist. I mean, you still see news reports about that. But yet we see the horror of what Planned Parenthood has done with the, the, the bodies and the, the, the decapitated heads of infants that were aborted, and we see nothing about it. Where the life of a lion takes more than the life of a baby. Folks, we are worshiping created things rather than the Creator. We are in darkness. It makes no sense. Just the other day, there are men and women that are shivering in terror. As a matter of fact, they are so scared, some of them are taking their own life because the things they did in the dark are now being brought out in the light. It was a, a website called Ashley Madison where these married couples could go in secret behind their computer and hook up with other married people thinking nobody would know. This is the internet, folks. <laughs> Come on. There is nothing hidden. And we see stories about, about bankers and politicians and, and police officers and, and high-ranking officials that are being called out for their indiscretions on their website. We live in a dark day. And understand, Jesus himself said in 8.17, For nothing is concealed that won't be revealed, and nothing is hidden that won't be made known, and come tonight, and come to light. Folks, the third thing we see is that darkness is evil. When God created the earth, if you go back in Genesis, it says that he spoke the light into existence. I want you to understand something. The reason we love Jesus Christ is because as dark as our life has been, and as dark as it could become, I can't make this any clearer, folks. When we have sin in our lives, that I know most of you in here are, 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 are Baptist or saved or, 
or you've been walking with the Lord, and I'm probably just preaching to, to myself today. It's probably just me that needs this message. But I'll go ahead and tell you this, that even Christians struggle with allowing darkness to come into their lives. And if you allow darkness to come into your lives, you will get misguided. You will, you will lose the desire to read God's Word. You will not understand what is happening in your life. As, as God shows us in His Word, the wheels of the wagon fall off of our lives. When we do not maintain our love relationship with the Lord. And if you have darkness in your life, have hope. Because it says here that Jesus scatters the light. When Jesus shows up in our life, darkness runs. Third thing we see is that we love Christ because our struggles were His struggles. You ever heard the phrase, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt? You ever heard that phrase? What does that mean? That means, whatever you're going through, I can identify with. We see here in verse 14, the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh. Now, I don't know about you, but there's been some days this summer where I thank God for my air conditioner. And you know that if you even step one toe out on the porch, it's just going to melt on the concrete. It is so hot. It's so comfortable to be in that house with that air conditioning on. And this pales in comparison to air, to, to air conditioning, but here is God. Here is Jesus. Here is the Holy Spirit in heaven. They are all different, but they are all one. And, and God sees the mess that we have made of the world that He created because of sin. And He looks to His Son, and He says, Son, go. Leave your throne. Leave your glory. Leave the air conditioning. Leave everything that you hold dear to yourself. And go walk among them. Put on an earth suit made of skin and walk among them because I need you to give them an example of what I'm looking for. I need you to show them that it can be done, that you are going to be 100% divine when you are on the earth, but you're also going to be 100% human. Kids, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, Jesus went through puberty. He had zits. He had probably little girlfriends when he was growing up. As he got older, he struggled with being where he wanted to be and where God wanted him to be versus where his parents wanted to be. He got thirsty. He got mad. He got sad. He wept. He bled. And he died. All of these things, physical attributes of what Jesus went through. So why am I saying this to you? You think that no one knows what you're going through today. But whatever you're going through, I promise you, if we sit down, study the life of Jesus Christ, and look in the Scriptures, you will find that He has gone through the very same thing. Maybe not exactly, but enough to where He can empathize with you and teach you and show you how to get out of it. Jesus' one goal 
was to glorify God. And we also see that no longer would we have to be good enough for God. Because when Jesus came to earth, folks, I'm wrapping up and hang with me here. I got you. Understand this, that before Jesus Christ came, we had to keep religious laws to earn God's favor. We had to be good enough. We had to show faith to receive God's blessings. But because of Jesus Christ, we no longer have to be good enough because Jesus is the good enough. That in our messed up, fallen state, that Jesus, that God looks at Jesus Christ and not our sins if we have Him in our lives. So I just want to ask you this morning to fall in love again with Jesus Christ. One of the first things I tell new believers when they, when they come to know the Lord, the first thing I tell them is, number one, get a Bible that you understand. If you don't have one, we'll get one for you. And number two, read the book of John, the very passage I preached on this morning. Why is that? Because John shows right off the bat who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and why we need him. It helps us to fall in love with him again. So if you are a believer today and you have taken Jesus for granted, I pray that this message and these scriptures would remind you to work on that relationship with him. How do you do that? Well, number one, if there's sin in your life, it is separating you and your fellowship from Jesus Christ. We cannot have sin in our lives and be walking with the Holy Spirit. It takes repentance. It takes confession. Or maybe you are someone that, maybe you haven't been delivered something, but you've been a Christian all your life. Take a moment just to thank Him for everything He's kept you out of. And make sure that your relationship is not based on some religious practices of this is what I do and I've just always done it that way. You do it because you love Jesus Christ. And the third thing is that maybe there's someone here today that is still in darkness. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus will scatter the darkness of your life. The true test of our love for Jesus. If we truly love Jesus, we will do what he asks. And what is that? He said it this simple. The greatest commandment is to love God and to love others. Do others see the love of Jesus in the way that you treat them? I'm going to open the altar and we're going to have a time of invitation and then we'll do the Lord's Supper and, and we'll be out of here and you can check off on your list if you've been to church today. But please don't make it about that. If Jesus is working on your heart, if you have a prayer need, if you want to come to know Him as your Savior and Lord today, if you want Him to scatter the darkness in your life, He will do that. If you need prayer at the altar or maybe someone here might want to, to join this fellowship and, and, and get arm in arm and shoulder to shoulder with us to reach this community. We'd love to have you as well. Let's pray. God, this invitation time is for you.